Hello, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Today's episode is going to focus on the results from Championship Sunday in Cincinnati. It is 1.13 p.m. on the West Coast, which means it's 4.13 p.m. in Mason, Ohio, and in the last 20 minutes, Carolyn Garcia has completed her victory over Petra Kvitova in the women's final. I'm recording this part first, and then I'm going to record what happens for the men's final a little bit later and tack that on as a part two of this podcast, because it's nice to do a podcast earlier in the day for once, and I want to get this one out into the feeds as soon as possible, get this week wrapped up as soon as we can. So first... Let's talk about the women's singles final. It was between the unseeded Petra Kvitova and the qualifier Carolyn Garcia. It happened on August 21st, 2022. It started at about 2.08 p.m. at the tournament. Kvitova had a couple of double faults in her first game, and she got broken. So Garcia got the early break, one love. There was a long game. Garcia saved break point to consolidate for two love. And Kvitova serving at two love. Garcia had a couple of nice points. She was moving very well um, in that two love game. She got a return winner. And Garcia got up the double break. 3-love, held to go up 4-love. When Garcia was serving at 4-1 with the two breaks, there was another long game, but she held that, and she held her next game at 5-2, much more comfortably to win that opening set by 6 games to 2 over Kvitova. Kvitova, I thought, started the match slowly, I thought she wasn't playing her best game right out of the gate, and I thought Garcia did do that. Kvitova also started slowly yesterday against Keys. She lost the first set there and then came back to win, but unfortunately she was not able to do that today as it was a straight sets victory. In the second set, I thought Kvitova played better, But then I also thought Garcia played better. So let's talk through what happened in the second set. Kvitova did give up an early break in that first game again. Garcia got up two love for the second consecutive set. But then at this point, this is where the match turned a little bit more in the favor of Kvitova. The score in the second set was 6-4 to Garcia ultimately which means that in the last eight games, they split them 4-4. So there is your statistical proof to back up my claim that Kvitova played better as the match progressed. So there were... And that was the final break? Yeah, that's right. So Kvitova lost her serve in the first game of the second set, and that was the final break of the match, ultimately. You don't see that too often in the men's or the women's game where that first break stands up. It certainly does happen. It certainly happens less in the women's game, but there it is. Sometimes that break does stand up and you can't get it back, and that's what happened today. Um, Kvitova had her chances in this one. She ended the match 0 for 8 on break points. And particularly when Garcia was serving at 3-2 in the second set, uh, she opened that game with a double fault. She was down love 40 on her serve, Garcia was. And she ultimately recovered, displaying a great deal of poise, both in that game and later on. So Garcia held from love 40 at 3-2. Um, She finished off late in that game with an ace, not on game point, but the point before, to go up 6-2, 4-2. And 
it was around this point in the match. Maybe it was a little earlier. I, actually, backing up to when Garcia was up 6-2 to love, Kvitova took a medical timeout to get some treatment off the court. It appeared to be an acute injury. Maybe she niggled something in those early games of the second set or in that game right before she took the timeout. But besides delaying the proceedings by several minutes, it didn't seem to affect the rest of the match. Maybe it did. We'll have to see what Kvitova said in press. But she was able to continue, and she was able to play a competitive WTA 1000 final. So that's what happened early in the second set. So, as I said, both players played better as the match progressed. And the storyline of the match in the late games was Kvitova not taking her breakpoint chances. It feels pretty rare, and again, on both tours, but especially in the women's game, to have a player be 0 for 8 on breakpoints. You'd think that you'd be able to capitalize on one of them. So when Garcia was serving at 4-3, it became a story of does Kvitova... Is, you know, if Kvitova does not get a break point, obviously she's going to be out in, in the next couple of games. And can Garcia uh, handle the pressure of closing out one of her biggest wins in the last five years? And uh, Garcia at 4-3, she uh, held without going to deuce and without facing a break point. Uh, Kvitova held the next game to make it 5-4. And again, Carolyn Garcia, in this situation, when you're up 6-2-5-4 against a player that's had eight breakpoint chances, in a situation like this, it can really turn on a dime. Because number one, if Kvitova comes out and plays an awesome return game to make it 5-all, that completely changes the complexion of the match. And... If Garcia feels the moment mentally, or if she thinks about it in any way, leading to a poor service game, or leading to the loss of her serve somehow, that would also change the match. And I think if that match had gone to 5-all, I might not be talking to you here at 121. They might still be out there. But Garcia had a very undramatic game. I think there were a couple of aces. Um... She held the 15 to, to win that game and the match. Her poise, Garcia, in the closing stages of this one were very impressive. So, again, to finalize the, the form for both players, Kvitova started slowly and got better, and Garcia started very well and then maintained that, maybe even getting a little better, and she passed the inner game of tennis mental game at the end to close out a big trophy in a big situation. So congratulations to your t- 2022 Western and Southern Open women's singles champion, Carolyn Garcia. And, you know, the big the big picture in the WTA right now, I know Iga Sviantek had the 37-0 run, and that included a lot of Masters events, and it did include a Grand Slam. But if you take that out, the unprecedented times of parity in the WTA continues. The defending champions of WTA Cincinnati and the United States Open are both qualifiers. And you have a number one that went on a big historic streak, but is also 4-4 four and four in her last eight matches. And you had Barty having success in there as well. So it's all possible. You can have a qualifier win a tournament. You can have the world number one win a tournament. You can have anything happen in between. And that's what's happened in the last year. All of those things have happened. And unprecedented parity in the WTA. I think in the past that might have been a negative. Or it was used as a negative to lampoon the quality of women's tennis. But... 
there is lots of intrigue in women's tennis right now. There are lots of good players. There are lots of interesting storylines. In many ways, the women's game continues to be more interesting than the men's game. And it's been that way for some time now. Especially if you take out the big three and the men, the WTA is the better tour right now. And that manifested itself in my viewership habits. It increasingly did. I watched a lot of the WTA tournaments the last couple weeks, and I'm glad that I did, because it was a good product. And there's lots of stuff to talk about. So Garcia won this tournament as a as a qualifier. So, and that caps off a meteoric rise in the rankings for her. Um, let's go ahead and take a deep dive on what exactly she's been doing. So, this week in Cincinnati, she played more matches than anybody. She was there last weekend when the qualifying was in to get into the main draw. And... Let's take a look at who she played there in the qualifying. On the first day of qualifying, she played scanning, 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 Carolyn Garcia, 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 where is she? She's not there? Oh, that's the wrong tournament. Okay, let's make sure we have the Cincinnati tournament. And taking a look at the qualifying draw for Cincinnati. In the first round of qualifying, Garcia beat Petkovic, former top player, 6-2-6-7-6-2. Let me see if Google will give me a date on that, because then we can figure out exactly how many matches she's played in how many days. Cincinnati Masters. On Saturday, August 13th. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at the one... Okay, now I'm on the right page. We'll just... We might cut that out. On uh, Saturday, August 13th, Garcia beat Diane Perry, the recent uh, French prospect who beat Krajcikova at Roland Garros, I think, the defending champ there. Garcia beat Perry 4-6-6-3-6-2. And Garcia mentioned that in press last night about how she had a tough match against a French player first up. Last Sunday on August 14th, she beat Petkovic 6-2-6-7-6-2. On Monday in the first round, she beat Mardich 6-3-6-3. On Tuesday in the round of 32, Garcia beat the number four seed Maria Sakkari. Seven six six seven six one. I remember that now. That was kind of an inexplicable third set at the time by Zachary, but maybe not because she lost to the eventual champion. She did have an off day on Wednesday. On Thursday, Garcia beat Elise Mertens, six four seven five. On Friday, Garcia beat the number seven seed Pagula, six one seven five. Yesterday, Sabalenka in the semis. 6-2-4-6-6-1, and today Kvitova 6-2-6-4. That might have been her easiest match of the week, tied with uh, Mardich in the first round. She only lost six games in both matches, did Garcia. This is a very good draw. Those are two tough matches in the qualifying, and number four seed, number seven seed, and easy Hall of Famer. I think that's right. Easy Hall of Famer Petra Kvitova in the finals. So that's a great week for Garcia. Let's not necessarily forecast onto the U.S. Open, but she's had a good last couple of months. That is for darn sure. And just to touch on that, so she won Cincinnati today. Last week she had an early loss in Canada. But before that, she won the tournament in Warsaw. She had a win over Sviantec there. Garcia made the quarterfinals of Palermo in mid-July. 
and the semis of a tournament in Switzerland uh, the week before that. Round of 16 at Wimbledon. She won Bad Homburg on the grass in the middle of June. And that has capped off a rise in the rankings. At that time, she was in the mid-70s for Roland Garros. Carolyn Garcia was ranked 79, and now in the race, she's all the way up to number 9. And now is a good time to read off the race rankings. Um, But quickly, before we get to that, so the reason Garcia was a qualifier, you know, this week, if you look at Garcia's ranking now, she's ranked 35, which normally would be good enough to get you direct entry into the main draw, but the entry list for these tournaments come out several weeks in advance, and when the entry list came out, she was not inside the cutoff line, which is why she had to qualify. It happens occasionally. Sometimes you get a player who's ranked outside the the cutoff line, but then they have a couple of big results and they get inside, but they still have to qualify unless they get a wild card, which Garcia did not. It doesn't happen often, but it has happened where fairly highly ranked players have to go do the qualifying, and that backs it that the the her number two seeding in the qualifying Garcia's did back that up. She was ranked pretty high, but she just missed it, so she had to qualify. So she goes from 79 a couple of months ago to now inside the top 10 in the race, checking in on the WTA race rankings. Iga Sviantek is still number one with 7,560 points. Ons Jabor is still number two. That lead now with with 3,196 points for Jabor. The lead that Sviantek has now after Cincinnati is 4,364 points. So Sviantek will still be the number one no matter what happens at the U.S. Open. And I imagine even if she doesn't have a great end to the season, because of all the parity beneath her, I think Sviantek has a great chance to lock up number one in the next four to six to eight weeks. Jessica Pagula is now number three. Simona Halep is number four in the race. Coco Goff is five. Kasatkina is six. Zachary, seven. Barossa, eight. That is your provisional year-end championship field. Garcia is all the way up to nine. Sabalenka, ten. Keys, eleven. Kudramatova, twelve. Bencic, thirteen. Let's look and see if there are any other big movers. Tomlanovic is up to f- 10 spots to number 43. And that. And Katie McNally is up 13 spots to 101 down there uh, in the lower side of the rankings. So interesting times in the women's game. Um, your big tournament winter winners for the WTA in 2022. I've got that list ready. So these are your list of major and masters winners for the WTA this year. Sviantek's got five, including a major. Garcia, one. Halep, one. Rabakina, one. Jabor, one. And Barty, one. So, again, besides Sviantek, there's parity. You see five other people there with one title, and nobody else besides Sviantek has one or more than one. So interesting times in the women's game. Good week for Kvitova. She'll be fine. Hopefully she can do well at the U.S. Open. Let's uh, look at that now. Let's look at both players' U.S. Open career. So Kvitova's never made the semis of the U.S. Open, it's the only major where she has not made the semifinals. Maybe uh, she can use her momentum from Cincinnati, another tournament where she didn't do well. Maybe she can use that momentum to do well in another difficult tournament for her. So we'll see if she can do that. For Garcia, 
Her she's never made the fourth round. Her best result is the third round. She hasn't done that well in the majors in general, including this year. She hasn't made a quarter. Um, including during her run this summer. She only got to the fourth round of Wimbledon. So it would be interesting to see if Garcia can back it up. So that is going to be a wrap on the women's tournament for the Western and Southern. One other match that happened in the day session was the men's doubles final, and... Rajiv Ram became the only American champion at the 2022 Western and Southern Open. The number one seeds, uh, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, beat the number six seeds, Tim Puetz and Michael Venus, 7-6, 7-6. This was a match where there were no breaks of serve. Both teams had two break points. And there were no breaks. There were only two deciding points in the match as well. And they were both in the first couple of games. Uh, Ram held his serve from 30-40 down at love one in the first set. And then Puetz and Venus, they staved off a deciding point at three all in the first set. Then the whole rest of the match, uh, there were no breaks. In the tie breaks, I thought Ram and Salisbury separated themselves. They got off to a quick lead in the first set tie break, and kind of that was that. And in the second uh, second set tie break, um, they got down a couple points early, but then they came back. They came roaring back to take that second set. Um, one of the important points near the end was a return winner um, off of Michael Venus. Uh, I would say Venus might have been the weakest of the four players on the court today, and uh, Raymond Salisbury uh, took advantage of that to win the match 7-6, 7-6 in straight sets. Um, here's your list of men's doubles winners for the big tournaments this year, the majors and the masters. Ram and Salisbury now have two. Kulhoff and Skupski with two. Ebden and Purcell with one, the Wimbledon champs. Aravelo and Roger, the Roland Garros champs, with one. Mekdic Pavic with one. Herkoc and Isner with one. Isner and Sok with one. So Isner's got two there with different partners. And Kyrgios and Kokonakis with one. Remember when they were revolutionizing doubles back at the Australian Open? Yeah, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? And let's take a look at the ATP doubles race points. And let's do it with the teams. Live ATP doubles race. Number one, Wesley, uh, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski. Two, Arvelo and Roger. Three, Ram Salisbury. Four, Granoliers and Ceballos. Five, Mekdech Pavic, 6, Kokonakis and Kyrgios. Wouldn't it be interesting if Kyrgios made the World Tour Finals? 7, Puetz and Venus. The ATP Live website spells his name as P-U-T-Z with an umlaut, but in the order of plays, his name has been spelled P-U-E-T-Z. And number 8, Glasspool and Heliovara. And the opponents today... The um, the opponents today, they're listed in here, right? Yeah, they are. Okay. So, yeah, it was a top eight race matchup today. Um, that is going to do it for this portion of the podcast. It's 1.37, 4.37 local time, so I'm probably already late. I better get to watching the men's singles final. Hopefully there's no rain, and for you, it's only going to be a few seconds here, but... I will see you guys in a moment. And welcome back. It is 4.01 p.m. on the West Coast, 7.01 in Mason. And just in the last 20, 22 minutes, the men's final has wrapped up. And Borna Chorich's amazing week is complete. 
with his championship victory today over Stefanos Tsitsipas. So let's back up to the start of this match. The men's singles final for Cincinnati started at 4.43 local time between number four seed Stefano Tsitsipas and protected ranking number 152 Borna Choric from Croatia. And the first set took over an hour. There were lots of long games, interesting shots, interesting tactics. Tsitsipas got off to a quick three-love lead. Chorich came out a little not playing his best. But then after that, the set got very interesting. Chorich went on a little run of points to get back on serve to 4-3 on serve with Chorich serving at 3-4. And let's talk about why I thought the second half of the first set was intriguing. Tactically, it felt like early on, Chorich was making a lot of errors on his backhand. So obviously, Sitsipas would want to find the backhand and Chorich would want to find the forehand. I thought as the match went along, that changed and Chorich became more solid off of both wings. Uh, For Sitsipas, when I was looking, his backhand was... uh, making some errors as well, but maybe that can be more mental, and we will get to the mental part of this. But uh, tactically for Chorich, he also wanted to find the backhand. And it also came down to execution for me. These guys had to focus, number one, on those tactics to make sure they implemented them, and number two, they had to focus on their own shot execution. So I thought there was a nice match being played with tactics, a nice match being played in terms of winners winning the points. Um, And the first set, four all, five all. And then we got to a tie break. And in the tie break... Chorich won it 7-0 out of absolutely nowhere. Sitsipas double-faulted on the first point of the tiebreak to give Chorich the 1-0 lead, and that Sitsipas double-fault in a crucial high-leverage moment in a high-leverage match completely changed the rest of the match, and it became about the mental state of Stefano Sitsipas. Uh, The second set was 6-2 in the favor of uh, Chorich. Uh, Sitsipas lost his serve twice. And just throughout that, uh, there was a stretch in the second set where, number one, Sitsipas' body language looked very droopy. And that tells me, number one, he wasn't fully committed to the tactics and to the physicality of the match. And number two... He didn't think he could win the match um, in that situation. And number three, the communication with his coach in that situation was not working. And also during this period, Sitsipas hit some very strange shots, which he is very capable of doing. Sitsipas has some very creative errors barely clipping the ball with the edge of the racket, hitting the ball in such a way that he hits a ground stroke motion and the ball lands on his side of the court, which is not good. He can have some Federer-esque Shankasaurus, some Roger Shankasaurus shots. So when Sitsipas's game goes off the boil, as they say, it can, it can be quite poor. So combined... And, you know, this is symbiotic, right? One thing causes the other. He had the bad double fault in that situation, and he lost confidence in himself. And that resulted in him making those errors because perhaps his mind was focused elsewhere and it was not focused on peak performance. 
So let's go through the stats of the match. Let's see if there's anything interesting. I'm looking at them for the first time here. Sets a pass double faulted four times, including once in that tiebreak. Let me see if he double faulted to lose his serve here. I see here that he did. So sets a pass was no no that's not that's not it no 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 I'm not right on that. But he did have the one high leverage double fault. Um, he was uh, sits a pass won 64% of his first serve points, compared to 84 for Chorich. That's a big gap. Second serve pretty even. Uh, return rating still don't know what that is. Uh, break points converted. Uh, they sits a pass is one out of seven. I wouldn't necessarily say that was a, a bad stat or a notable stat. Sometimes you just can't get them, you know? To me, the break points were not the story here. And uh, Chorich was 3 out of 12 on break points, including two breaks to none in his favor in that second set. Sitsipas had 22 winners to 22 unforced, so he was a big fat zero off the ground, plus minus zero. And Borna Chorich, we can talk about him in a, uh, more in a minute, but 37 winners to 14 unforced. That's a big win. He's plus 23 off the ground. It continues his amazing week. Nobody was really able to touch him, especially after the Rafa match. So Chorich played awesome. Total points. Chorich wins 79 to 61, 56 to 44. That is a good old-fashioned Andrew Burton clean kill. Shout out to Andrew Burton. So, Borna Chorich wins the match, 7-6, 6-2. And Sitsipas was up 6-5 in the first set. So that means that uh, Chorich won 8 of the last 10 games to completely walk off and run away with the 2022 Western and Southern Open Men's Singles Championship. In the trophy ceremony afterwards, sits a pass uh, completely unprovoked, said, uh, quote, I'm not choking, or it's not choking. He, th yeah, he said it's. So, quote, it's not choking. And he said that completely unprovoked. Um, a reporter was not asking him questions. The... MC was not asking him questions. Sitsipas just said that completely on his own, which, number one, says that it was on his mind. He was thinking, did I choke or not? And two, if, if someone says something, usually it means the exact opposite, especially if they're trying to, to deny something. So when Sitsipas says it's not choking, hey, guess what? That means it's choking. So extrapolating from that, Sitsipas feels that he is choking. It's a toxic relationship with his dad. Sitsipas, to this point, has not engendered the necessary independence as a human person on this planet to set his own tennis destiny. There comes a point in every young person's life when you must set out on your own. We all go through this. I went through this five years ago when I moved out to Oregon. For Sitsipas, it, it has to come in the form of ending a familial coaching relationship and getting a different voice. There are many, many examples in tennis of... Uh, family coaching relationships that start well, and they should. And the the family member helps the the player make their initial breakthrough onto the tour. Richard Williams, again, not necessarily a hero, but he was a very effective coach early in the career of the Williams sisters. Um, Tony Nadal, he wasn't you know direct parent to to Rafa, but that relationship ended. Um, Denis Shapovalov was coached by his mom. He's going the wrong direction, and this week on the TV, he, he, somebody else was listed as his coach that wasn't his mom. And 
uh, Apostolus Tsitsipas, uh, Stephanos' dad, he helped his son get on the tour. There is no question. He should be commended for that. But now it's time to go. And Mr. Tsitsipas is putting his son in a very, very crappy spot. It is very disappointing that Apostolos does not take himself out of this situation. I don't want to say the word, but I would use profanity here if I didn't have my filter on. He's putting his uh, son in, a, in an extremely beep situation. As a parent, shame on him for, for making his child make this decision when the, the dad, when the father should make this decision first. So it's a really unfortunate situation there. I think there is a possibility that Sitsipas could be being abused. And he might not describe it that way. The dad might not describe it that way. There, you know, this is, but is there a power dynamic going on? And is that where the abuse is happening? I think that could very well be possible. Again, I don't want to speak for them. I'm just an amateur sitting in my chair here, just spitting out words to see where they splatter. But I think, I think safe, is that relationship healthy? I don't think it is. So it's just, it's an unfortunate thing all around. And if Sitsipas does come to his senses and fires his dad, you know, guys like me that have been calling for it, and people in general, it's not something to be celebrated. It's kind of sad, you know, that it's come to that between them. But that's my opinion on where the coaching situation stands. I mean, look at the result. Who's the coach? His dad is the coach. What happened on the court today? Stephanos was clearly in emotional distress. I'll just leave it there. He was in emotional distress. What can you do as a player to change the situation so there is not emotional distress? Change the coach. That's how you avoid the emotional distress at the moment. So I hope Sitsipas is able to do that for the sake of his personal mental health. Because my goodness, in the trophy ceremony, he did not look well. His mental health did not look well. And I hope that he can work on that and get better. Borna Chorich wins a Masters 1000 event. That's not something that many people expected or nobody expected. He played awesome all week. Nobody was really even able to touch him, to be honest. And let's go through all of his matches and look at uh, his uh, stats. We'll go round by round, starting with the first round. I'm going to be particularly interested in how many winners to Unforced that he hit. So, in the round of 64, he beat Musetti, 7-6-6-3. Chorich had uh, 31 winners to 16 Unforced. That's a big margin. So, that's a margin of, uh, of 15. So, he was plus 15 in the first match. In the second match, he defeated Rafael Nadal in that high-profile situation. And Chorich's winners to unforced, he had 39 winners to 30 unforced. So add another 9. So we had 15 in the other one, plus 9 here. That's plus 24 off the ground through two rounds. Next round, he crushed Bautista and Chorich was plus three winners to unforced. That's actually pretty close. That might be his closest of the week against Bautista. Uh, then there was the win over Felix Auger Aliasim. And on that match, uh, uh, Chorich was plus six. So add another six. He's now plus 33 off the ground for the tournament. Then he beat Nori yesterday, and uh, off the ground, Chorich was uh, plus seven, 
So now we're plus 40 for the tournament. And in the finals today, over Sitsipas, he was uh, 37 and 14. I just said it, but uh, the margin there, that is going to be plus 23. <laughs> so half his total he had today. So for the tournament, Borna Chorich was plus 63 off the ground, which is the most important part of the modern baseline tennis game. He had 63 more winners than unforced errors. So he was in god mode all week. He was just on fire. Nobody could even touch him. He lost one set all week, and it was the second set to Nadal that he lost. So here are Borna Chorich's set scores this week. 7-6, That is an awesome performance. To, to win a Masters 1000 event, you got to stand up. You got to give the golf clap, man. That is just an awesome, awesome result for Borna Chorich. And he'll be seeded for the U.S. Open now. And his injury comeback and all the work that he's put in to come back to the tour has now been validated in just the space of a few days. And he'll always remember Cincinnati with a special place in his heart, I'm sure, as the site of his first Masters 1000 trophy. So Pablo Carreño Busta and Borna Chorich have been the Masters 1000 winners the last two weeks heading into the U.S. Open. That is quite a stat for the ATP World Tour. And in terms of who won the big tournaments this year, here is your current list of ATP slams and Masters winners for 2022. Djokovic, 2. Nadal, 2. Alcaraz, 2. Chorich, 1. Carreno Busta, 1. Sitsipas, 1. Fritz, 1. And there are only two big tournaments left before the ATP Finals. The U.S. Open Grand Slam Championship and the Paris Indoors in around Halloween. Shanghai was canceled once again. I wonder when the tour is going to go back to Shanghai, but that's going to be a uh, story for a different time. So now uh, let's take a look at the updated race update, the live ATP race. Rafa is number one, 5,630. Sitsipas left 400 points on the table today. He's got 4,620. So that means Rafa is number one in the race by a margin of 1,010. So let's, let's game that out real quick. So Rafa's up by 1,010, right? So that means to pass him, somebody behind him would have to make the U.S. Open final. Because a semi is only 720 for a semifinal and 1200 for a final. So the only people was 33 back? 3,000? 5,630. So the only people that could pass him, 3630 and higher. So that would mean um, if Rude wins the U.S. Open, he could. Is that right? 5,630. Yeah. If Rude wins the U.S. Open and Rafa does very, very poorly, Rude would be number one in the race. But, folks, that's not going to happen. Much more realistic to talk about Sitsipas and Alcaraz. So, for starters, Sitsipas would have to win. No, 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 that's not right. He'd have to make the U.S. Open final to have a shot at the number one in the race. And for Alcaraz, same thing. Let me just check that. 5,660. Yeah. So, but he would only 
you'd, he would need Rafa to lose in the first round to have those numbers hold. So, uh, pass and Alcaraz, they can only be in the mix for number one if they make the U.S. Open final. And no matter what anybody else does, Rafa's magic number, 66-20, subtract 56-30, uh, he would need to make the final to uh, retain number one. So, just to recap that, if Rafa reaches the final of the U.S. Open, he's guaranteed to stay one. And for Sitsipas and Alcaraz to have a chance, a realistic chance, they need to make the finals. And Rude has an outside chance, but that is not going to happen. I feel pretty comfortable about that one. That is a prediction that's not going to be wrong. Casper Rude is not going to win the 2022 United States Open. Um... Casper Ruud is four in the race, 36.85. Medvedev is up to five, 31.95. Felix is six. Zverev is seven. Rublev, eight. Herkach, nine. Taylor Fritz, 10. Cameron Nori, 11. Pablo Carreno Busta, 12. Novak Djokovic, 13. A couple of other notables, Nick Kyrgios, 20. Um, um, where is Mist? Where's our champion? Is he, where is he? Where is Chorich? Chorich is 22. So, Borna Chorich is up to 22 in the race. He's up 94 spots this week. All it takes on the ATP tour is one week, and then you can have a good shot. Somebody named Constant Lestiani? is up to number 70. I'm going to have to look up that guy. I've never seen that name in my life. Apparently he won a challenger, maybe? Anyway, let's not get sidetracked too much. So, wrapping up um, the last couple weeks, taking a look at where the season's been so far before we move forward, um, I thought it was another good week of tennis. If you were going to compare Canada and Cincinnati, which tournament was more entertaining? I would have to say Canada, probably just because of the weather conundrums the last couple of days in Cincinnati. Um, I, that hampered that hampered the final grade for me just a little bit, but um, it had a better highlight match than Canada did with the Nori Alcaraz match from Friday night. That was absolutely the match of the week. And Chorich Nadal, I'd put as number two. And uh, the match, the final today, um, I'd put up there as well. You know, you think about how time marches on. Serena Williams out in round one. Uh, uh, Novak Djokovic didn't play here. Roger Federer didn't play here. Rafael Nadal did not win a match here, and neither did Serena. So, and yet, you know, that one, those players lost. Two, we had a very surprising winner in Borna Chorich. And yet, three, that's okay. Sometimes I use the line about, this is going to be the tour for the next 15 years. I use that pejoratively, but sometimes that can be good. Chorich is a guy, I thought it was a nice story this week. You know, he, Borna Chorich is not going to win the U.S. Open. He might not even make a deep run at the U.S. Open. And that's why you cover each individual tournament as it comes, because a story like this for a guy like Borna Chorich, it's the story of a lifetime. It's the best week of his life. And that's why we need to cover these tournaments as their own thing instead of as Grand Slam proxies or as a Grand Slam prognostication machine and nothing else. So, many congratulations to the 2022 Western and Southern Open champion, Borna Chorich. Amazing week. Hit so many winners. Played so well. Nobody could even touch him. Best week of his life. Doesn't happen too often in, in a person's life, professional life. But it happened this week for Borna Chorich. 
Um, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Now it is time for U.S. Open Hype Week. Yes, the last Grand Slam of the year starts uh, in about a week on Monday, August 29th. But before we get there, we have this week to go through. And taking a look at some of the things on the official website at usopen.org, here is what's happening. On Monday, August 22nd, there's nothing on the schedule. Everything's off. The qualifying tournament, oh, we'll get to the qualifying in a second. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the fun stuff, the non-tennis stuff first. Tuesday, August 23rd, um, Arthur Ashe Stadium Experience, a unique opportunity for a pre-U.S. Open glimpse into Arthur Ashe Stadium to watch top players practice throughout Fan Week. Okay. Register now for your Fan Access Pass. Featured player practices, U.S. Open Legends Match at 7 p.m. Witness the greats take the court again in the U.S. Open Legends Match. See former U.S. Open champions Andy Roddick, Kim Kleisters, James Blake, and Bethany Maddox-Sands play on Grandstand. Register now for a free fan access pass to gain admission to the front row seating by the player tunnel. Also get your U.S. Open merchandise. Be the first to get our new 2022 U.S. Open merchandise. While on site, visit our U.S. Open Essentials stores for your commemorative gear or stop by U.S. Open Collection stores for a wide selection of official merchandise. Can't wait to be on site? Click below to shop online. Net Generation Kids Zone presented by Emirates. Visit the Net Generation Kids Zone by Court 17. The Kids Zone will be a fun, positive, and engaging atmosphere centered around multi-sport play that encourages kids to have fun and come away knowing that the key to being a great tennis player is to be a great athlete. And to be a great athlete, you can be a kid and stay active in all sorts of ways. And Heineken Happy Hour, starting at 5, U.S. Open Fan Week, a new destination for a unique happy hour experience. Bring your colleagues and friends out to the grounds for a -a one-of-a-kind happy hour with music, tennis, and special drink offers. Featuring, on Tuesday, the DJ Ty Alexander, and that is in the South Plaza. Wednesday, August 24th. Looks like it's going to be a lot of repeats. Okay, Wednesday, August 24th, Louis Armstrong Stadium. Tennis plays for peace, 7 p.m. See the top tennis stars take the court to support Ukrainian humanitarian relief. Join us in Louis Louis Armstrong Stadium to witness world-class tennis stars and celebrity guests come together for an exhibition match like no other. 100% of proceeds will benefit Global Giving's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. See players Rafael Nadal, Coco Goff, Taylor Fritz, John McEnroe, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Carlos Alcaraz, Leila Fernandez, Jessica Pagula, Matteo Berrettini, and more. Thursday, August 25th. Flavors of the Open. On Thursday, August 25th, join us for Flavors of the Open, a new event giving food lovers the opportunity to experience the wide-ranging culinary offerings of the U.S. Open. The event will also feature appearances by world-class chefs and tennis luminaries, and will give those in attendance exclusive access to an evening practice featuring marquee players. Tickets to this event will benefit the USTA Foundation. Friday, August 26th. Chase Soundcheck Concert featuring DNCE. Friday, August 26th is headlined by the Chase Soundcheck Concert featuring DNCE on the Fan Week center stage. Tickets have reached capacity for this event. Saturday, August 27th. There's no kids' day? Is that on Sunday? It's weird. 
Where's the kids' day? Oh, well. Okay. Uh, there it is. Okay. Saturday, August 27th, 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., Arthur Ashe Kids Day, powered by Net Generation, is back. Bring the whole family out to Arthur Ashe Kids Day to enjoy a festival of tennis activities, live music, and around-the-grounds fun. New this year, join us for a free show by the global phenomenon's Dude Perfect. <coughs> okay. Backing up now, and, and uh, let's talk about the actual tennis that's going to be played this week at the U.S. Open. U.S. Open qualifying gets underway on Tuesday, August 23rd, and it will run Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The main draw is going to be made on Thursday, August 25th. I don't have a time on that. I don't see one listed here, but just know it's on that date, Thursday, August 25th. Shifting into the TV coverage, because now... The worldwide leader is back for the next three weeks. ESPN has been the exclusive rights holder of the United States Open since uh, 2015, I think. And they will have qualifying starting on Tuesday, August 23rd, um, 8 a.m. Sorry, this will be 11 a.m. Eastern daily coverage on ESPN News. So tennis is back on cable. It's back on mainstream cable, not just the tennis channel. Again, qualifying daily coverage, 11 a.m. Eastern, ESPN News, this week. ESPN Plus also has all the courts. ESPN is going to be uh, showing some encores because of Serena. And here are some of the encores that are going to be on big ESPN channels this week to honor the legend, the queen, Serena Williams. Thursday, August 25th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 2017 Australian Open Final, <sighs> Serena Venus. 9 p.m. Eastern, 2003 Australian Open Final, Serena Williams versus Venus Williams. 11 p.m. Eastern, 2002 Wimbledon, Serena Venus. 1 a.m. Eastern, I think that's right, 2012 Wimbledon, Serena Redwanska. Friday, August 26th, 3 a.m., 2012 U.S. Open, Serena Azarenka. And that is the uh, previews. Nothing on TV for Saturday, August 27th. Sunday, August 28th. 1 p.m. Eastern, Sports Center at the U.S. Open on ESPN2. I will be back eventually. We'll see when. Yeah, so the podcast experiment. I have gone two weeks with daily episodes every day since uh, August 6th or 7th. If I, if I go back to the pilot episode, I think I originally made that. Let me see if I can find out. When did I make the pod? The pilot. The pilot. Um, probably August 6th or 7th. The first real episode, which is listed in your feeds as Episode 2 Canada Previews, that was originally uploaded or recorded on Sunday, August 7th. So it's been two weeks. So this is at least my 15th consecutive day of making a podcast. Um, it's been a really interesting experiment. And I have gotten a couple of listeners, so to the people that have listened, especially the people that I know, family and friends, personally, uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Again, like I said at the start, I'm going to make no promises. This is an amateur podcast. I want to treat it like a hobby. You know, I am about to start to go back to my sort of regular professional life. And my time is going to be dramatically reduced uh, for the U.S. Open. I will definitely be watching less of the U.S. Open than I've watched over the last couple of weeks. And that's just the way that it is when you're a working professional. But, you know, I don't want to make a pod about something that I didn't necessarily see. I'm absolutely going to give it a try. But, again, no promises on exactly when I'll be back. Probably in the next 7 to 10 days, but, again, no promises.
um, in terms of this upcoming week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I, I don't necessarily expect to be making a podcast those days. Even Thursday, Friday, I, I would save U.S. Open preview stuff maybe to next weekend. So it might be closer to six or seven days before you hear from me again. But it is my intention to uh, come back. Is this the last episode of Trips Tennis Talk? I don't think so. I think there'll be more episodes after this. It just depends on what form the episodes will take. Nice pod today. Good pod. Um, it's been good, good times. I'm kind of bad at ending podcasts. I don't really know how to do that. Maybe I should listen to some other podcasts a little more, see how to better end them. Give me a five-star review. Uh, but only leave nice comments, okay? You know, if you have feedback to give me, find some other way to do it, because it, otherwise it's going to be on Apple Reviews forever. That is a subtweet. <sighs> Again, bad at endings. Thanks for listening to the pod. The last couple weeks and this podcast episode today have been brought to you by Argon Productions. Take care. Talk to you soon.